This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Google is taking a page from Apple's playbook and has created a custom design processor to power its new Pixel 6. Why would Google go through that trouble? I'm Roger Chang, this is your Daily Charge. Joining me to discuss the Pixel 6 is our resident chip guru, Stephen Shanklin. So uh, before we get into the, the processor, just generally speaking, what is new about the Pixel 6? Well, last year, uh, Google was selling the Pixel 5, and it was really kind of a lackluster pandemic-era phone. It had a mid-range processor, and it was you know small, small screen. It was a fine phone. It, it punched above its weight in terms of camera image quality, but it was not really anything special. So this year with the Pixel 6 and the Pixel 6 Pro, Google is trying to offer a premium phone, a flagship phone. They even use the word flagship, which is unusual for them. So a much uh, higher end processor, higher end camera performance, and higher aspirations for the company. So they're trying to, you know, compete with the big boys, Apple, Samsung, those kind of companies. Right. And the Pixel 6, there's the Pixel 6 and there's a Pixel 6 Pro, which it's an interesting pricing dynamic because the Pixel 6 is $600. The Pixel 6 Pro is $900. So it's a $300 difference, which is a little bit more dramatic than your standard step up for the higher end model. I'm curious what the difference is between the Pro and the regular version. Yeah, it's kind of like Google couldn't decide whether it wanted to do the value play that it's been doing with the Pixels or whether it wanted to do the premium play. So it has a pretty big price discrepancy. The real difference is the 4X zoom camera on the Pixel 6 Pro. So it's a complicated camera. It's this uh, periscope camera, folded camera. What it what that means is they put a little mirror angled inside the inside the camera body so they can get a longer telephoto lens without making just a gargantuan camera bump. So it's right. it's it's an engineering complexity to try to improve the camera and it does add a significant amount of cost and complexity to the phone. So some of that price uh, price difference is certainly justified. But also, they're you know they're really trying to make this phone stand out from some of the competition. Yeah, and speaking of the camera, you know most of these phones now have like a, a module on the upper left corner of the phone. This has something different, right? In yeah, the back? it's got a. I call it the camera bar. It's enormous. Yep. So it's this <laughs> instead of being <laughs> instead of being a, a little bump on the back or an increasingly large you know rectangle or square on the back. This goes across from one side of the phone to the other, and it, it sticks up quite a lot. So it will be very obvious to anybody who looks at one of these in the pictures or who owns one. It's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a really big bar going across the back. So you know, this has been an increasing trend in the phone business for a while. These uh, companies were ashamed to have these large cameras because they, you know, it's kind of this ugly protuberance on the back of their sleek phones. But it turns out photography and videography is really important and everybody's been leaning into it. Uh, a bigger camera, bigger lens optics makes a big difference in camera performance. So these guys have said, you know what, 
let's do it. Let's, let's go all in. Let's make a big thing that sticks off the back of the phone. Consumers want good photography. And this is kind of a, a visual design way to indicate to them that this has got high end optics, a big image sensor. So it's, it's really changed dramatically in the last few years from this being an unsightly bulge to being uh, a kind of a prestige premium indicator messaging. When you pick up, when you, when you hold your phone up there, it's like, oh, that's got serious camera equipment. So I think it's kind of an amusing reversal. We'll see maybe someday, you know, we'll see some super advanced optics or other engineering tricks that let people shrink the cameras again. I think in a perfect world, everybody would like to have as small and thin a phone as possible. But for now, we've got these big bulky bulges. Right. So uh, let's talk about the custom processor, which I sort of hinted at at the beginning, because you know, this is something that is unique, really previously was unique to Apple, right? They custom design a chip that gets manufactured. Most companies use, you know, uh, something supplied by a Qualcomm, for instance. I'm curious why Google went through the trouble of making its own chip or designing its own chip, at least. Two words, artificial intelligence. So Google has a lot of AI smarts in its company, you know, starting from the data center with everything from, you know, screening spam out of your email, recognizing faces and photos, transcribing voice to text. And they've been building more and more into, into phones so that people can do more clever AI stuff with their phones. But Google was held back basically by what was available in, uh, in its phones. And also it's got a lot of insight into that AI hardware, into the AI software, because it runs so much of it at scale. It believes that it has a better insight into what hardware is required than a lot of other companies doing um, AI acceleration. And I think that's probably actually a really fair argument. And so everybody else out there is certainly doing AI acceleration hardware in their phone chips, but Google wanted to do more of it and they wanted to do it its own way. And that's actually pretty important because when you control both ends of, of what's going on, the hardware and the software, you have a lot more insight and you have a lot more ability to competitively differentiate, to provide services and features to consumers that somebody else might not be able to. So Qualcomm, uh, yeah, they have, you know, ARM uh, technology uh, that accelerates AI, but Google knows exactly what it wants to do on the other side. So, you know, it's kind of like it, it's, you know, both sides of a business deal shaking hands, right, <laughs> the left right, side right, and the right, right side. So they, they know what's going on in a more sophisticated way. I mean, that's that's the same advantage that Apple has, right? Like it controls the hardware, the software, the chip, and really almost every component now. And that's how it ensures the experience it wants to give to its users, right? Exactly. Vertical integration, as they call it, that's kind of uh, the vogue now in Silicon Valley. In the old days, there'd be, you know, you take one process from this company, one piece of software from that company, you cobble it all together and you get a product and, and it's marvelous, hip, hip, hooray. But now uh, it's much harder to make faster chips. And so you see a lot more attention from the premium brands to designing their own hardware and then up through the software layers. And, you know, in the case of Google and Apple doing a lot of the, you know, the apps and the services as well. So yeah, Apple is definitely the, the, the top of the heap when it comes to this vertical integration to owning the whole stack of technology. And that has served them well. It lets you differentiate your products. It lets your engineers do things that might not be possible. So it, it's, uh, I, I think that trend will continue. And what, you know, Tensor, the name of the chip is Tensor, which clearly an engineer came up with that name, not a marketing executive. But uh, 
What, what exactly does it enable? Because Dancer played a big role in the presentation, and you know it was brought up many on many occasions uh, as a as sort of the linchpin to enabling all these different features. Like, what what were some of those features that Google talked about? Sure. So just to be clear, Google designed part of this process or the, the tensor processing unit part of it, the TPU, as they've been yeah. calling it in the data center word, world for quite a while. Most of this chip, uh, the CPU and the GPU came from a company called Arm that, that develops and licenses this technology. But Google grafted its own tensor stuff onto the side of this because it knows just what it wants for AI. So give credit where it's due. This isn't 100% Google designed chip. A lot of it comes from other companies. So on the AI side though, it enables a lot of features. So the, the biggest one that interests me are a lot of photography and videography features. So for example, there's a feature called face unblur that will detect motion and use uh, some clever processing to, uh, to unblur a photo. So if your kid's jumping up and down, it will try to kind of do a freeze frame on the, on the, the kid's face so you don't ruin the photo. And then it does a sort of a backwards thing with adding motion to some other photos. So if you have somebody standing in front of a subway, uh, it can actually add motion to that subway. So the person is still and then the subway is moving in this sort of pleasingly dynamic way. Or you could have a waterfall uh, motion blur there too. So that's also done with AI in terms of detecting what's going on. Another interesting one, uh, it detects different skin tones. Uh, this is an important uh, change given that a lot of people of color have complained over the years that when, they, when, uh, when somebody takes a photo, the, the, the camera doesn't uh, expose their faces correctly. It doesn't focus right. So uh, this is specifically geared to you know, the autofocus, the face detection, the exposure, the color balance, the white balance. All these, all these things that automatically happen when you take a photo are actually specifically geared uh, for people of color, not just white folks like me. So it, it really, uh, you know, a very conscious effort to be more inclusive there, which I think is interesting. Apple just did a very similar thing with its new iPhone 13. Uh, so uh, another interesting one is live translation. So you've been able to do translation. It's a sort of babblefish technology. It's been sci-fi for decades, but this is coming real. So you can speak one language into your phone and it will produce another language out the back uh, for somebody else who doesn't speak whatever your language you're speaking. And then that other person could respond and it will translate back into your language. It does that live on the phone with the Tensor chip. And uh, Google also has significantly improved its voice to speech uh, translation. So if you're dictating a text message or a word processing document or something like that to your phone, uh, it does it. Uh, it's faster and it will, uh, it changes the way you operate. So in the past with, with Pixel phones, you'd be, you'd put it into voice transcription mode and, you know, would listen to your voice and then you might need to reposition the cursor to, you know, edit what you're saying. In the past, that would shut off the voice dictation, then you could re-enable it, but this time it just keeps it live. So you tap your finger to put the tech, the cursor in a new place and you just keep on talking. So it's more um, it's more fluid and dynamic. It's and that's also enabled by the Tensor chip. Got it. So I, I'm curious. The uh, Pixel phones have not fared well from from a sales perspective. Like just in general, they're kind of a niche product, despite the fact that you know there's a lot of uh, it gets a lot of attention. It's obviously it's Google's phone, and there are well, there's some Google fans out there, I guess. But uh, I, I'm curious if this phone and this Tensor chip uh, is enough to you know, 
turn some heads, get folks to, to consider Pixel, or is it really still just sort of like an iPhone and, and Samsung world at this point? I still definitely think it's an iPhone and Samsung world. I, I suspect this will fare better than previous Pixels. I, you know, they made a lot of effort to, to make a very premium, glossy phone. The Tensor technology is a legitimate way to differentiate this technologically from some of the competition. Uh, Google has had a good reputation, deserved reputation for good smartphone photography. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're trying to lead here with a better product. And I think that's, that's smart, but their problem really hasn't exactly been that the product sucked. It's that they couldn't get them through distribution. They couldn't get people excited about them. They couldn't get whatever kind of good placement in the Verizon store that you needed. Uh, it's, it's really hard to be a top shelf uh, smartphone maker. We saw LG Electronics bow out of that market and it had a bigger presence than Google did. So it's, it's tough to, to, to challenge these, these you know, really big entrenched incumbent powers. We'll see what they do. I think actually one of the interesting differentiators here for the Pixel 6 is Android has promised five years of software updates. And yeah. that's Actually, I think really significant people keep their phones longer and longer. Android has a deservedly bad reputation for software support. Some people, you know, you never get an operating system update from, you know, you buy the phone and that's it. That's what you got. Uh, the Pixel phones get a lot of updates. That's really important, not just for new features, but for security as well. So I think this five-year software lifespan is actually a pretty important selling point. Uh, iPhones have had a really good have had really good longevity from the from the operating system standpoint. Android has been weak this way, so I think that's that's a nice perk. Is it enough to move the needle and get a lot of people to buy it? Yeah, we'll see. I think Apple really has to prove itself, but they uh, they're trying. I, I give them credit; they haven't thrown in the towel. Google quits a lot of things when it doesn't see enough success. It's sticking with the Pixel stuff. It's doubling down with this Tensor stuff. So you know it's investing more resources, more resources into it and not less. Yeah, that's, it's always a, a curious dynamic because I remember there were rumors earlier this year that maybe the Pixel phones were done, but or at least the low cost one, but clearly that's not the case. Stephen, thanks for your time. You can check out our full coverage on CNET.com. If you have any questions, hit us up on Twitter at The Daily Charge or sign up for direct text messages from me by heading to CNET.co slash Daily Charge. And if you like what you heard, please rate and subscribe to the podcast. It really helps us out. For The Daily Charge, I'm Roger Chang. Thanks for listening.